Today we're joined by Dr. Colin Robertson, who has been involved in human performance and sports science for his entire professional career. He's a very busy man as a doctor of physiology, a high performance coach and a gym owner, to just name a few. So without further ado, thank you very much for joining us today, Colin. It's much appreciated. Thank you. Um, so for anyone that's listening, firstly, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your career, what you're currently doing. Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. And yeah, um, I'll try and give you just the the highlight reel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to bore people to death from the start. So yeah, <laughs> goes back a long time now. I've got a few summers on the clock. I started off really in the fitness industry, like a lot of people working in as a PT, working in fitness. Went over to the states. Was very fortunate to work over there for a little while. And it was over there that I realized that the future of what I wanted to do was really sports performance. I had the opportunity to go and have a look at Florida State and what they were doing. So came back to the UK, sports science degree, nutrition masters, PhD, started working, you know, a long time ago as a strength and conditioning coach, high performance sport, rugby, international, national, Olympic athlete, football. You wow. name it, really have been there over that time. You know, we, we opened our gym on the Wirral, the UTS, over 10 years ago. And we were one of those gyms that really broke the line and brought what we did with the athletes in elite performance to our, our local community and population. Spent a lot of time in, in research now, certainly over the last 10 years. I'm, I've been a part of national and regional health projects, GM Health Innovations, Westminster Forum, looking at things like the impact of exercise and nutrition on the reversibility of type 2 diabetes, how it supports uh, people who are undergoing treatment for cancer and then recovery from cancer mm. and other chronic diseases and illnesses. And hence why now we decided to take on this huge task with the cause project of helping coaches and PTs to become better informed with how to work with people who've had COVID-19, who've have chronic health issues and also who've just had their training interrupted because of what's going on in the world. So yeah, all that, I've probably missed a ton of stuff, but probably people don't really, no. but yeah, in amongst all that, yeah, there's been a lot going on. So what, what made you want to dive deeper into every thing that you've got into? Cause it doesn't seem like you've skimmed the surface on anything. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much, um, I'm, I'm an all or nothing kind of person, which I think you find yeah. in our industry. You know, we're, we're pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. full tilt people, aren't we? Um, I don't watch a lot of TV, so I've got plenty of time. And, <laughs> and I've, got, I've never lost my kind of sense of curiosity. And, and whenever I find out a bit about something and it reveals how much you don't know, then I kind of find, I feel duty bound to go and explore it more. And I've always had the philosophy that, you know, absolutely wring the neck out of everything you do do it to the max you know if you're going to be a pt then be the best first of all be the best pt in your gym then be the best pt in your area then go on to be one of the best pts in the world same for snc a lot of my work's been exercise physiology so looking at how we can measure and and better manage athletes with regards to recovery same with nutrition i always think you know what, what you know why would you ever for yourself, why would you ever accept like enough? When is enough enough? I don't think it ever exists. Yeah. So yeah. So I just kind of <laughs> immerse myself in everything I do, really. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really good. I mean, I love people that go like in depth with everything that they do because it, like, as you said, like you just find out more the more you go into something. 
um, and the more that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the key bit. And also, there's so much commonality. I, I genuinely, I'm, I'm obviously biased, but I genuinely believe that, you know, when we're working in fitness, when we're working with humans, when you start to scratch the surface and you start to get a bit of an understanding of what's going on physiologically, by you know, whatever it is, you start to realize how much of it overlaps and works in other, yeah. right the way from someone who's just trying to make a better, healthier food choice in the supermarket all the way through to someone who's who's genuinely trying to get a gold medal at the Olympics. There is so much crossover and transfer of our skill sets that it, it you know it can never become dull because you can just start mm. and press on different areas and then follow that route a bit more. Mm. How, how much do you think like knowing a bit of everything has helped you in your your businesses at the moment like how long like, the crossover and knowing a little bit about something does it help with the people that come in to come in like, like so you know a bit about them or maybe that someone else wouldn't know what to do with them or what i, I don't know like yeah and i know what you're saying i think you know there's always a there's always a concern isn't it that you know being a jack yeah. of trades and a master of none so what you know, what i would say is whilst i've i've been a lot involved in a lot of things. I do have kind of key specialist areas, and if I don't know something, I'll be the first person to say I don't know, and hopefully move something yeah. to the person who does know that. The the thing is, the fact is that when it comes to the reason I got involved in health more and more, as exciting as sport and that is, is because health has been the pandemic we've been dealing with since I was born. You know, when you look yeah. at statistics around cancer, type 2 diabetes, cardiac disease, metabolic syndrome, bump, the list goes on, obesity, all of these things have got worse on our watch. So to me, the COVID pandemic, which is an acute flare up of what the world is dealing with from a health point of view. Well, I've been more and more immersed in that world really for the past 15 to 20 years. So now that this is really, it's, it's hit everyone's radar. But it's been, yeah, yeah. it's been on my radar for two decades. So it's kind of, you know, it's fallen to me and a lot of colleagues and people I, I work with, you know, both clinically and, and I guess in performance. I guess it's just time for us to, to step up a little bit now and, 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 and help our industries, help our colleagues wider to, to better mm. deal with these people. So I kind of lost track of the whole question. But yeah, you know, <laughs> it's very rare, I guess, Ben, that someone walks in and this is even if they just want to get fitter and, they, and they're relatively yeah. okay. It's very rare a person comes in and there's not something else to consider. You know, more often than not, you yeah. look at the statistics, more often than not, you're going to have to help that person. Let's say, for instance, they want to do a really fast half marathon. As a part of your journey of supporting them to do that as a PT or a coach, you're probably going to have to look at some nutritional factors, maybe some weight management factors, some low-level illness or chronic illness factors, more often than not. The statistics tell us that, you know, 66% of the time, you're going to have to deal with some of that. So, yeah, it, it kind of lends itself to that. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, I mean, so given the global pandemic that we're still currently living in and yeah. probably going to be living in for a little bit of time, especially where you are. We were speaking just before this, weren't we? That yeah. um, where you are is currently kind of a little bit tighter. Yeah. Um, but what would you say maybe, well, personal trainers and coaches need to know about training their clients in a COVID world? I mean, like whether that's now or whether it's in the future. I mean, obviously health is such an important thing for everyone at the moment. Is that, is that what it's going to be going forward, do you think? And even now? 
hundred percent. Health, you know, health is everything we do should always be focused on health first, and then fitness, performance, personal bests, gains, whatever it is. Health should always be the first and foremost priority. And right now, there's never going to be a world beyond COVID. We're going to live with COVID forever, the same way that we live with the seasonal flu. And if, if you have a look at the, the current data, you know, um, that's looking around the, the vaccine and how the virus is performing, it's going to be very much like, you know, a seasonal vaccine in order for us to, yeah. to deflect COVID. And people need to come to terms with that on their own terms. And I understand that debate. So we're going to have to look at the long-term management of it. We're going to have to look at when people are symptomatic, the toll it takes on their body. We've got to look at things like post-viral impact. Um, we've got to look at um, um, dormant viral aspects and a person can get a second, third wave of their own expression of, of COVID-19. And also, if you have a comorbidity, type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, cancer, all those things, the increased risk has with the worst possible kind of symptoms. And this is the biggest, you know, population. This is the global population. This is most people. Typically, our industry, fitness industry, works for twelve percent of the population. That's you know, we, we know that twenty five years now, that that figure's barely changed. Twelve percent of the population take part some way or form. The other eighty eight percent kind of don't really deal with us, and it's the other eighty eight percent plus our twelve percent that now need our skills and our expertise. So when it came to COVID, because I was kind of right at the cold face of it, that's why we came up with cause. And that's why we thought, you know, what we need to do now is very quickly muster and we need to make our coaches aware of the key implications of working with someone like that so that we get it right from the start and that we don't start adding, you know, negatively to that, that change, that, that, those circumstances. So really that was the whole driving sentiment around what we're doing. What you know, and what and what we we're going to continue to do because we're finding out more and more information. You know, the research has been savage; it's turning over. There are new things emerging pretty much on a daily basis, and I'm really fortunate because of my research network and and what I do that I'm tapped directly into that. So I've really seen myself as a filter on this, really, which is to grab all that stuff and be able to put it together and go right, guys, this. Is so. You know, on that front, I mean, for a long time, <clears throat> I've been working on getting people to look at specifically cancer and how we can best rehabilitate and support people who are dealing with any type of cancer to get better treatment outcomes. And then once they're post-treatment to get quality of life back. A lot of those factors are, again, you know, going back to that commonality, they're similar to what we're going to deal with with regards to post-COVID because of the systemic effect that the virus has on the body so it's really important that people don't almost never assume too much so if someone comes to you who's had COVID-19 they go yeah no, I had mild symptoms and I'm okay and I just want to get started on fitness the coach the PT needs to be the pace limiting um, factor they need to recognize that this virus is systemic and actually long COVID if you look at the statistics is more likely to affect people who've been fit than people who weren't previously fit. And then we've got this notion of people who are generally asymptomatic, all right, it wasn't that bad. And it's actually only when they start to increase the stress and demand of what they need to do that they start to develop cardiac, neurological issues. And, and the real sense of the damage is coming forward. 
Um, and I apologize to anyone with a clinical background for me using the term damage there. I know we don't like to use so it's the best way I can describe it. Um, so yeah, yeah, so we so we do, and and you know, I'm, I've always been a believer. It's not enough to just know stuff. It's not enough to just be clever. You know, um, it might be great if you're on a TV panel show, brilliant. But if you're in possession of information that's going to benefit your community and and the wider society, and particularly your professional community, then there's a responsibility for you to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in and, and share that and, and empower people to be able to support people. Because essentially, if you whittle it down, whether we're doing fancy box jumps, whether we're doing, you know, CrossFit games, you know, obstacle course racing, no matter what we're doing, whatever end of it it has, ultimately, we're just trying to help people. That, that's it. That's our job in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, you, you spoke about the longer term effects of coronavirus. Yeah. Um, so I, guess, I suppose there could be many different long term effects from the coronavirus, but what impact does this have on training a client that's had COVID? Like, do trainers necessarily need to adapt anything that they're doing to su- best support their clients, like post COVID? Like, or is it more do it continue do what they're doing? Like, do they need to learn something else? Or it, I mean, yeah, I totally see where you're coming from with that question, and it's going to be as individual as as the coaches, each individual's coach's background to the extent of their qualification and, you know, where they led themselves mm. from a CPD point of view. So I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to make a statement to say all coaches need to upskill and do this. What we do know though, is that, is that a lot of coaches will benefit from a level of CPD that's, you know, and, and support and input and education and development in this area. Cause we know across the industry, you know, we're partnered with UK active and Europe active. So we are, we have a good insight as to how the, the industry is ticking, even on a global scale. And we know that they need to know more about this. If starting now, and I've actually started, so over the past few months, I've started to work directly with people who've had COVID. And, I, and I've got a real mixed bag at the minute. I've got people who have been on ITU and I've got people who had like pretty much no symptoms. So where do we start? My approach is with everybody forget anything they've done previously and start today and start to assess where they're at and where their exercise tolerance is at functionally because we know covid has can can bring about a devastating effect it's the neurological so patterns of muscle recruitment and proprioceptum can be altered and in the worst instance you know as secondary causes people are dealing with mild strokes and tias in the wake of covid so we need to assess function. We need to know what they're like from a, a strength and stability point of view and some measurement of strength. And then really never lose sight of the fact that this individual is post-viral. doesn't matter how mild their symptoms were or are, they are post-viral. So if something you would expect to take a month with someone who's not had to deal with any kind of chronic illness, triple it, say it's going to take three months. And have those conversations right from the start and say to people, we are going to go deliberately slow. We are going to build up exercise tolerance really, really gradually. You know, a lot of what we're going to have to do to begin with and to commence those journeys is prescribe physical activity. You know, rebuild exercise tolerance because just quickly without, you know, boring people to death, the virus itself attacks the hemoglobin. The virus itself attacks the alveoli in the lung it attacks 
tissue and the vital organs. You know, there is a systemic approach. It can it can actually bypass the lungs, essentially, and go straight to cardiac tissue. Assume nothing. The one thing I'd like everyone to to embrace is this notion to make no assumptions. Just because someone's saying, "Yeah, I'm ready to go," that that's great. From a psychological point of view, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But from there, draw a line, zero it, and say, "Right then, let's just modestly measure your exercise tolerance. Let's have a look at your function. Let's have a look at some strength assessments, and let's start to plan a journey through." That's going to be involved physical activity, increase in exercise tolerance, some challenge to movement, and let's just set a new goal. Let's let's move purely forwards. Let's set new goals, and you can make those short-term goals and mid-term goals um, as modest or as kind of inspiring as you like. But make sure you're taking your time to get there. Do you think anything in the winter months are going to change? Do you think people are going to have to train clients differently, or? What do you think is going to be the best way to go about that? Because, as I say, like like the flu, it seems to be stronger in the winter months, as you said, and it's going to be a seasonal thing. So, like, is it just to be slightly more cautious, or? I mean, we. I mean, my background, my original PhD is chronobiology. I'm an environmental physiologist. Um, you know, we're often we're not sensitive enough to seasonal variation. A big part of what I do is like someone says, you know, I'm going to climb Everest. So they get me involved with regards to acclimation and specific kinds of prep for that environment and those conditions. And you see this kind of stuff. It looks really cool, doesn't it, on documentaries. What people don't realize is when people yeah. like me get involved in that kind of work, it's not just about height, barometric pressure. You know, we are considering the seasonal effect, the time of year, what that means in the context of the Himalaya and where the person is going to go. And then we start to look at our training ideas preferably from a minimum of 12 months out depending on the individual ideally you like a two-year lead in when you're physiologically and physically preparing someone for that and i always say you know because it's an extreme undertaking we recognize that we need to put measures in place well life's pretty extreme and we live we live across the seasons and they're dramatic in how they change us and they're certainly dramatic in how they alter our immune response a lack of daylight the impact of that on availability of vitamin D, the changes we see at a cellular level with regards to omega-3-6. You know, we see respiratory changes because of air density changes as the seasons change. And all of these create the perfect environment for infection and for virus. And that's why the winter and, you know, the late autumn and winter months are the hotspot for those kind of common colds seasonal flus you know it's it's this seasonal variation that brings about this ripe opportunity well covid bearing in mind that it's something that you know if you have obesity type 2 diabetes all the comorbidities you're more susceptible to it and more importantly more susceptible to the worst type of symptoms well that's why we know this all this talk about the second wave it's inevitable it's been inevitable from the start because we were never going to have a vaccine in place Mm. And we were never going to have sufficient amount of people with antibodies in place to cope and offset a second wave. A second wave was never up for debate. It was always going to happen. So this is the, the more prone time. So what we need to do is be mindful of that. Obviously, depending on where you are in the UK or the world, 
there's going to be certain different rules and regulations with regards to lockdown measures and procedures. But the notion of physical distancing, we need to be really switched on about. We need to be really switched on with our clients and our members of our gyms to say, if you've got you know a, a, a cold, a head cold, uh, and you're starting to feel things on your chest, it's time to listen to your body and back off and rest. The reason being is that cold or that bit of a chest cough itself might not be that bad, but your immune system has taken a hit. And whenever we exercise through that, we add a stress to the immune system. And what we're doing is we're creating even more of a ripe environment for you to pick up and develop something worse. We want to avoid that for two reasons. We want to avoid it because we don't want the person to be any more ill themselves. But secondly, if they are, they're then going to add to the stress and burden that the health system is currently buckling under already. So we do need to, as coaches, what we need to do is we need to be far more sensitive to our individuals and how they show up for their classes or their one-to-ones, however they're engaging. We need to be checking on them, doing like our due diligence on a daily, weekly basis, how they feel, are they okay, they dealt with any kind of some symptoms. So making sure that they're in a really good state of readiness to participate. And also the winter months are a great time for people to put a bit more of the focus on the strength aspect of what they do, the more functionally challenging aspect of what they do. And unless they're a real endurance athlete or individual, then start to rein that back in a little bit, you know, because that exercise shouldn't stop, but we should just rein it back in a little bit. And purely because as positive as that type of work is, and I wholly endorse it, you know, I'm, I'm big on my own running, cycling myself. What we do know is those prolonged periods of time in, in, in those kind of environments that take the kind of biggest hit on our immune system. Most of the time, that's really, really positive. But right now, let's just exercise a bit of caution. I'm not saying no one should do a long run or a bike ride. I'm saying let's make sure we're giving ourselves time to recover properly. Let's make sure our nutrition is nailed on so that we're facilitating meaningful recovery. And let's spread it out. If we're going to do those longer runs, those rows, cycles, whatever it is, let's make sure we've got plenty of recovery time and use these winter months, autumn winter months, to focus more on the strength aspect of all those areas. I mean, it's interesting what you said there about, um, like, be cautious of your client. And if they are feeling ill, like, maybe it's say to them, like, let's not have this session today because your immune system. It might be a bit of a struggle for some people, so potentially, just because they might need the income, they might need these sessions that they've got. And it's going to be hard to say no sometimes, even if you, I suppose, know it's best. Or what do you do? Do you kind of transform it slightly and say, okay, let us still do something with you online and still help you with just some breathing? Or I don't know, like, is, is there going to be that sort of problem that people are going to face? With I, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And I, I think, you know, just to be clear on that, I think unless someone is really symptomatic, and can't you know, train, mm. which would be the instance, whatever it was, then yeah, just modify mm. and, and do something else, you know, reduce, put the focus somewhere else and reduce the burden. Um, you know, so yeah, modify mm. the session. If someone has got, you know, if someone's got a bit of a head cold, you know, what we don't want to do is, is encourage them to go out and do a half marathon run. You know, what, what we're not <laughs> going to encourage them to do is a, you know, a hit session. But it could be that we go, okay, you've got a bit of a head cold, right? Yo, we'll preserve our physical distancing. You know, we can we can do some kind of functional work in the gym. 
we can you know we can we can still work on areas but what we don't want to do is anything that's going to over, you know overly aggravate that and then cause that to you know um be the catalyst that makes it turns it into something far more se- severe it really is a case by case scenario and i wish i could go right for this lot do that and for this do that it's yeah, be yeah. so individual but 100% you know preach the philosophy that we should you know we should always try and do humans heal better on the move so even if it's a case of they've got a stinking cold dealing with a flu believe it or not no matter what you feel you will be better off even if you could just get up and go for a walk for 20 minutes. Yeah. Mm. so that that's yeah. kind of like worst case scenario so if we move away from that so we've got a bit of a head cold you know typical seasonal kind of stuff modify their expectations of the session work on something else that's not likely to aggravate the respiratory system the cardiac respiratory system and then don't super overload don't go right then we can't do that so let's go for one rms on our deadlifts you know just kind of Mm. alter the dynamic of the session but i'm a huge advocate of keeping people moving where they can obviously with something like you know coronavirus covid19 the infection and the spread of the infection is everyone's concern so we've got to be realistic mm. about that we're not going to we're not going to bring somebody into an environment who we know is acutely affected and symptomatic so then you know they could be at home but you know we can we can look on our prescribing of of physical activity and i think what happens there ben you know people get a bit boring so they go right then walk for 20 minutes it's like how uninspiring is that you know stuff that i've been trying to work to in our coaches that we you know that we have at our gym trying to be more than that so we've been trying to like look at routes in your local area start to come up with routes and certain points you know we've been placing items out there for them to collect we've had this kind of informal relay system going on for people who were physical activity prescribing for we've had like selfie competitions you know we've done far more work around the area so we can prescribe physical activity for people than just go yeah just, just go for a walk you know what I mean? That's the, the, mm. the, it doesn't appeal to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always, I'm, yeah, I, I've always been told that, like, if I'm feeling ill, just sweat it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Here's the problem, isn't it? Because we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Because if I'm feeling ill, I feel like I've got to fight on. I'm going to fight back getting feeling this. <laughs> um, I did loads of talking yesterday for one reason or another, so I was feeling a bit in my throat. So the minute, you know, everything was wrapped up, the first thing I said was, well, I'm going to go for a run to get this out of the system. Whereas, like, you know, arguably, yeah. if you look at someone else, you go, maybe you need to just, like, gargle a bit. <laughs> you know? Have a bit yeah. of water. It's, uh, it's, it's finding that balance. And I guess it's always, you know, it's not about double standards. It's not about do as I say and not as I do. But it's about, you know, considering when someone else is trusting us, and, and more often than not, professionally, they're paying us, they're, they're employing us to to shape and direct their exercise behavior and their training. We, we've got to work to the best standards and the best know-how and almost take, you know, it's good to have a little bit of your, of your spirit in there and, and that, you know, to drive. <laughs> but remember it's, someone else, remember, it's someone else that we're looking after. Um, I just think, especially yeah. now, you know, especially now in in the current circumstances, we've got to be even more sensitive to this, and just keep you know 
play cautiously for now is what I'd say. Um, you know, just mm. with regards to COVID, we will. Whilst we're always going to have a world with COVID in it, that's the way it goes. We're, we're going to get past this part of it. You know, we, we're not all freaking mm. out about flu season every year. We're not all going, oh my God, flu season, tap the brakes, what are we going to do? You know, we, we will get to the point where everyone talks about a new normal. I, I hate all that language. You know, we will get to a point where things are better, you know, massively improved, mm. and we will crack on and we will deal with it and it'll be a part of life just the way the flu is and there's so many other viral infections that you know we don't freak out about mm. um those times are coming and whilst we're right up against it at the minute and it's hard to see past it we we, we will get past it we will get past it and all out of the good mm. stuff and that bit more cavalier, cavalier attitude those days will come back we'll be able to get to cook in and do all that mm. lovely stuff that we like to do yeah, it's hard to see it sometimes, but I do feel like it is not hopefully not too far away. Um, I don't want to take up too much more time because I know how, how busy you are. I just want to ask you one final question. And I know we've kind of gone onto it a little bit, but what is the long term impact do you think this pandemic could have? I mean, maybe not necessarily next year, but over the next few years, like what do you think is going to change it? And how can trainers adapt to to what's going to come? I think um, I think there's a real opportunity here for for trainers, for coaches, because people are becoming more health centric. The message is getting through to more people. Mm. You've only got to look at any of the data that's being recruited from all around the world. You know, people are starting to take a bit more accountability and look at what they can do with regards to managing their own health. And I've always called myself an own your own health advocate. You know, the, the things that we can do that empower ourselves to improve our health. I think longer term, if we catch the tail of this, if we don't just let it roll away from us, we've got an opportunity to change that 12, you know, that, that 12% I was talking about before. I think we can easily double that. I think more and more people are switched on to the notion of the benefits of exercise, of better informed choices with regards to their nutrition and, on a phys- and, and the value of physical activity. And all of those are, are areas for our expertise. So I, I genuinely think, well, there's two things I genuinely think. One, we're the only profession that's really a health profession. A doctor and a nurse, they're a sickness profession. You go to see them when you're ill. You're already broken when you go to see them. They, they, they're the only genuine health profession because health is preventative. Um, and health how you yeah. live that's what health is so for us i think if we if we really with 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 a sense of sensitivity and dignity if we grab this now and we don't let people forget the fact that if they were in better shape if their waistline was slimmer if they didn't have comorbidities and particularly those preventable comorbidities then this would have been less of a risk and a concern to them um and that actually mm. to live a life to have a life worth living, to live a quality of life and have good quality of life, you need to be healthy, fit and well. So I think we need to grab that narrative and we need to shout about it and we need to not be quiet about it or, you know, kind of feel that, well, we shouldn't say that yet. We should be saying it now. We should be saying loud and clear to people all around our communities, our society, where we work, where we live. This is how you are going to make yourself more resilient moving forward is take the health opportunity to do things better. 
So I think moving forward, there's already a kindling interest from the general population to think, well, what can I do differently? What can I do better? People are working differently and starting to recognize the value of that and where they have more time or time allocated in a different way. So now it's upon us as an industry to not scare people off with imagery that terrifies them because they go, I can never achieve that. You know, let's all dump the tight Nike Pro Tops in the bin and all that kit and let's welcome people in. Let's make them successful from the start and let's really start to shape future fitness and how health and fitness is going to look for the next two or three decades. Because the world, the whole world has been taught the value of prioritizing your health. So let's let's hang on to that. And I'm I'm not just being evangelistic and I'm not just being kind of naive. I genuinely believe that that is what is coming our way if we get our part right. I think this is going to be a game changer with regards to the global mindset of health and fitness. Everything's just been brought forward five years or ten years, isn't it? <laughs> this is what it feels like when it comes to this yeah. training. Um, so, yeah, if, if people get it right, they can definitely do very well from this potentially and from a business point of view but also for helping people it's going to hopefully broaden well as you said double that 12 percent, maybe yeah, even more absolutely <laughs> I, I i think that doubling it is immodest and and you kind of always prefer to err on the side of caution you know i think that's a modest assessment and i, I genuinely think all we need to do is is upskill is make sure that we're confident about what we're doing for these people with people mm. and start to change lives that's the that's the game we're in whether it's someone you know taking part in some uber brilliant competition i've been you know to, to you know my final comment will probably be i've been really fortunate i've stood on i've stood on the pitch at international world cup games and you know and and, and in olympic stadiums and i've seen athletes who have worked with for years and years come to their their hour and get across the line and take a medal. And it's been exceptional. But I promise you, I genuinely, I swear to you, that is all a, a real third, fourth, fifth place to the stories I could share to you about helping people to overcome cancer, helping people to reverse their diabetes, helping people to, to live better with things like metabolic syndrome and, and in the wake of having had you know quite debilitating strokes. Genuinely, that's the stuff that I would put first across my CV. That's the stuff, you know, that's real life stuff that matters far more. Uh, and the satisfaction from achieving those things, it, it's far greater. I know the other stuff, the dead sexy stuff, and it looks cool, but it's it's nowhere near the same. <laughs> and we can do it every single day. Yeah. That's the change we can make. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, Colin. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I think it's going to be very useful and very helpful for a lot of people listening. Um, but lastly, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and thank you very much for joining well, me, thank Colin. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for hearing me out. And uh, <laughs> look forward to you again. Cheers. Absolutely. See, See you later. Out.